From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network. You are now listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris, where the most influential voices in horror cinema will spill their guts to the renowned horror director, writer, and producer. Now, here's your host, Mick Garris. From Nice Guy Productions World Headquarters overlooking the glamorous San Fernando Valley, I'm Mick Garris, and this is Postmortem. Well, we are deep into the holiday season, so there's no time like the present to talk about bit about holiday horror. Every year the holiday season delights in welcoming new terror into what is primarily overloaded with kids and family movies. There's something wonderfully transgressive about blood-soaked entertainment leaking all over sweet stories about Santa and reindeer and the joys of family. There are tons of Christmas movies, Violent Night, Black Christmas, Rare Exports, Silent Night, Deadly Night, dozens more. Of course, Halloween is ground zero for holiday horror movies. Halloween, Trick or Treat, Tales of Halloween, and myriad others. I've even contributed to the genre as well as the primary writer of Hocus Pocus, my adaptation of Stephen King's Writing the Bullet, which is set on Halloween, and I even directed an episode of Once Upon a Time, which takes place on Halloween. You've got your Valentine's Day, your Friday the 13th, your Independence Days, your New Year's Days, We even set Critters 2 on Easter. But what about poor, lonely Thanksgiving? Sorely neglected, despite the horrors trained upon the poor, hapless turkeys every November, it has long needed a horror classic it could call its own. We were teased by the faux trailer for a movie called Thanksgiving in Grindhouse, but it was a fake, a joke, a punchline. Until now. Eli Roth has taken that trailer and turned it into a great roller coaster ride into the holiday as a full length feature called simply Thanksgiving. And it's everything you could have hoped for. And Eli is back to talk with us now about the movie and its origins as well as his favorite holiday horrors. Eli, welcome back to the slab. Thanks, Mick. It's so good to be here. Uh, it's so great to be here, and especially after sharing 
the night of the first screening of Thanksgiving with you. It was wild. At, at I, like, I got to turn around. We, we'll always have that experience. Like I was with you and XL Carolyn and it just a, a wild room full of screaming people. And just turning around and seeing you with the biggest smile on your face and watching everyone jump. It was really, it was such a pleasure after all of the fun frights that you've given me, you know, when you feel like you can give back to uh, those that, uh, that you love and inspired. It was really, a, it was an amazing night. You, it's like, you never forget those, those nights in the theater when you saw a movie for the first time. There's just nothing like it. Well, at Beyond Fest in particular, the audience is primed. They're yes. raring to go. They want to love it. They were with they, every line of the movie. God, yeah. stuff I thought would never get a laugh or applause. They were going crazy. It's so great. But it's a testament to the movie, too, that it delivers. Because you can have that audience raring to go and fall fat on, flat on your face. I know. Well, look, uh, my, my best friend, Jeff Rendell, we grew up in Massachusetts watching every single movie imaginable every holiday horror slasher and and from the time we were probably 12 years old it was our dream to make a thanksgiving themed slasher movie and you know jeff spent my gosh years working on the script and i certainly put him through the paces (laughs) in terms of what i expected and then rewrote it with him and we worked on it and worked on it but really jeff worked so hard on figuring it out and coming up with good twists and then we worked on designing the kills and we had the time of our lives making it. So it was really great to sit here as an adult and think of my 12-year-old self going, wow, we, we really did it. We, we not only made a Thanksgiving movie, we ended the November horror drought. Yeah, yeah, which we needed ended. Could you yeah. imagine? Remember that, like after Halloween, the day after Halloween, November 1st was the saddest day of the year for me. <laughs> yes. Because not only were the horror movies gone, the rest of the year, it was family movies. Treacle. Unless there was... Unless there was a Christmas slasher, which was rare. Yeah. Um, it was all Christmas movies. And I'm yeah. like, oh, I'm Jewish. I don't care. Like, get to January. <laughs> get to February. Get back to New Year's Evil. Get to My Bloody Valentine. <laughs> like, get me to another holiday so I can have a slasher film. Well, the holidays are always owned by the studios and the, the big product. The, the big yeah. movies are over Thanksgiving and, and December throughout that holiday period. But... I remember back in the 80s in particular, that January was a prime release time. Mm. When I was working at Avco Embassy, that's when we put out Scanners. That's when we Mm. put out a lot of the genre films because it was a desert from the studios and the independents pretty much owned the month of January. Yeah, January was great. I mean, it was back to school, which is a bummer. But I do remember (laughs) going to see all those movies that time of year, especially being in Massachusetts, being cold. But, you know, I, I kind of came of age when in the VHS boom, um, you know, I was too young for Black Christmas and Halloween, but then you watch those on VHS. But by the time you kind of got old enough, because your parents would have to either drive you to the movie or take you, take you to the movie. It was like right. My Bloody Valentine, like April Fool's Day I saw in the theater, Silent Night, Deadly Night I saw in the theater. And your parents took you. My parents <laughs> took us. Jeff's dad took us to see Silent which was And those were like classic, seminal movie-going experiences for me. Um, and that is the joy of seeing a horror movie in the cinema. It's, people still come up to me and they go, I remember when I saw Hostel opening weekend yeah. and where I was. And that's it's like going to a sports event. When I remember going to the Lakers, being the biggest Celtics fan, and watching Kobe Bryant score like almost 60 points. I was like, this is the most incredible. Being a Celtics fan to have to give it up for the Lakers, I was like, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Wow. And then, or going to see, you know, Iron Maiden play or Guns N' Roses or like one of your favorite bands 
seeing the birth of a new franchise, a new horror thing, yeah. being there opening weekend with the crowd that don't know anything about it, with no zero preconceived notions. There's just nothing like it. And that was the feeling we had with Thanksgiving where everyone was just watching this for the first time, watching them fall in love with it and get totally got by all of the kills. They didn't yeah. know what was coming or where it was going. It was well, so one fun. in particular, I, I, my greatest memory of that screening is you turning around and us giving double thumbs yeah, up yeah, to each yeah. other. It was, uh, I kept like checking in with you. I was like, did I do good? Okay, yeah. Thought, you, know, you still want that bit of approval from the people who, you, know, but, you, you admire. But this was the first time a, an audience saw it. Yeah. And you were there with them. Yeah. So that had to just be so gratifying. And were there people from Sony there who could appreciate what was going on yeah there are people from sony and people from you know spyglass as well who financed it because we financed it independently i mean they spyglass i just, didn't realize that. spyglass yeah we kept trying to get a waiver of all this stuff but spyglass just started making the movie with absolutely no distribution wow and then when we were in prep we were a week out from photography that was when it was sony and another studio wanted it and sony sony's like we're, we're doing a theatrical release for thanksgiving and awesome. i was like all right this is it Let's go. We have a theatrical. Now, of course, that can always change once yeah. they see the movie. That somehow that deal but can it didn't. mutate, but it <laughs> didn't. And they were actually great. They really got it. And they had some really good suggestions. It was TriStar doing it. I was like, wow, this is crazy. This is a TriStar movie. They're all not of a known for this. Not genre. known for horror, but, you know, Nicole Brown really wanted it. And she really got it. She was terrific, a big champion of the movie. So you had. You know, and Josh Greenstein at Sony got it, and Gary Barber at Spyglass, and Chris Stone, and everyone, they were super into it. So they um, didn't have input, uh, or were you making it by the time they got involved? By the or time I got some, involved, yeah. we were making it. So the notes kind of came in a week before shooting. So there wasn't a lot to do, but anything they said that made sense, that was doable, we would do. But then we, look, we shot the movie in 30 days. Wow. Which was nuts. That opening Black Friday riot was four nights, two nights outside, two nights inside. Wow. Shooting it all with people, like real. You know, we did some CGI of the glass crack, but then we had the glass falling with stunts. We did the only CGI was like wire removal and extension on the glass for the guy slitting the neck. Um, but everything else, it's all practical. Yeah. So it was, you know, dummies and, you know, makeup appliances and, you know, 100, we had 20 stunt people and 150 extras that are all beating the crap out of each other. <laughs> and they, they were amazing. They're, you know, they're Canadians. So you yell cut and they go, sorry. They're like super polite. Um, well, I had a different experience on the climax of the stand in Las Vegas. We had 600 extras and they all went crazy. And extras can be a rare breed amongst themselves. Yes, they can. Particularly in Las Vegas. Yes, and they can. We were inside the van with the actors as all of them are beating on the van outside. If you remember that oh, scene, oh yeah, uh, in downtown and you yelled Vegas, cut and they didn't cut, huh? No, it was scary. the actors were genuinely terrified. And you didn't yell cut, did you? You just kept rolling. Not for a while. No, yeah, yeah, you got to get those reactions. No, I know. No, this was this was great. Um, but yeah, so it was it was wild to see it. So or to answer about input, you know, there was a point where we were shooting and, and this was the first movie I kind of embraced the testing process hmm. and it was really Kevin Getz who runs the testing who's really really smart and helpful at interpreting the data and he's like they want to love it it's like they're feeling there's a little bit too much police investigation and ah. we and I and the stuff that I wanted to get I was like I wanted more stock and slash and so I went back for four days of pickups 
where we did the oven sequence and the pitchfork. And that was like, I felt like we hit our stride. And uh, the scene with the corn holders and the ears, like it was pure. <laughs> we don't want to give too many of these. Yeah, away. well, I'm doing yeah. stuff that's in the, uh, in, the in the trailer. But but it was like, it was like Mute Witness, like cat and mouse, pure slasher. Almost I love no that du- movie. And we, and I yeah. love Mute Witness so much. And I was telling my DP about it before. And then a week before shooting, there was a 35 millimeter screening in Toronto with Anthony Waller. Wow. So I went with my DP, went with our editor, went with the, as many crew, you know, that could that could do it. I was like, this is what I want to do. Wow. Like you can watch the old stuff, but watch Mute Witness. The first 45 minutes or hour of the movie, it's perfection. And I had the lead actress of Thanksgiving, Nell Verlack. She's like, what should I watch? I have a number of movies to watch, but one of the key ones, I said, watch Mute Witness and look at the lead performance of this Russian girl. The whole movie is on her face. She didn't say any dialogue, but you know exactly what she's thinking, what she's trying to get across. She's so expressive. And it's this great thing where she's always a step ahead of the killers, but then they're a step ahead of her. And it's this back and forth cat and mouse. It's so brilliant. So, But Sony was really supportive. You know, They, they, they said, that, you know, we want more of the those kind of trailer moments. I was like, yeah, you can get the pitchfork and stalking and, and all that stuff. So it, it's like in terms of the violence and gore, I shoot everything. Yeah. And then you show it to an audience and the audience really does tell you what's too much and too far. You know, it's like a great you, place to be where you have the confidence of what you the work that you do, but you also have the confidence to know when the audience has a better idea of what should happen than you do. Well, I don't want them to reject the movie. And yeah. I, and I say it's like a Thanksgiving dinner. You go and you get your <laughs> your turkey and your stuffing, your sweet potatoes and your cranberry bread and your cornbread and you your green beans and you eat it all and you're like, "Oh, that was amazing. Oh my God, I'm so happy. Ooh, I, that turkey was the I need a little bit more. Then you have seconds. You're like, okay, I'm really full. Oh, but the pie looks so good. And then you eat it and you're like, oh, I feel sick. I can't even look at food. I have a lump. You've eaten too much of a good thing. Yeah. You don't want that. You want the audience to have eaten that meal and going, what's next? Yeah. Where's dessert? I want another slice. And to have that hunger. And I could tell, like, in the scene where, you know, where you're like it's in the trailer, so someone's you know the human turkey's being roasted in an <laughs> oven. Um, the first time we showed it to an audience, people were silent after, and I didn't oh. want that. I'd gone; it was too much. It somehow crossed over from being because the movie is a roller coaster ride, and I want the deaths to be fun yeah. and o- over the top. It's not a joke, but it, you have fun with them. Like I'm yeah. not afraid. It's like a way to like get people to kind of loosen up and go, all right, this is going to be a crazy ride. But if- Well, it's the Hitchcock style of setting them up with a laugh before you hit them with a shock. For, exactly. It, it was that, but I felt like it turned into, somehow we're like in some kind of sadistic cruelty. And that, it's not that movie. That's not right. what people are there for. They want a fun slasher movie. And yeah. I use it's the It's like language. the difference between Hostel and Hostel too. Yes, it's true. And I could tell. And, and, and that was me... 15, 16 years ago where I was just like, whoa, I went too far. And it just was, it became unpleasant and upsetting. And you don't necessarily want to do that. You want to push people right to that edge or let them think you're going to do that, but then let them off the hook. I wanted people leaving the theaters like full of adrenaline, coming out of it going, that was the best time I've had at a horror movie in years in the theaters. That was incredible. That's one of the best memories of my life. So, you know, with all the gore, Sony was like, shoot it. But cover yourself. Like, right. s- this might not all work, so make sure you shoot a backup plan. That's right. all. If you want to shoot that, do it. But make sure that if that, that can't be your only option. Because if you back yourself into that, we think it's too extreme. You might be right. 
But in the event that the audience rejects it, make sure you have another version. So any of those scenes that were kind of on the edge like that, I could always cover myself in a way so that I was like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'll be fine to pull it back. And then the pulled back version, people were still telling me like that was the most shocking, upsetting <laughs> you know, thing. I like They're like, yeah. I, that was so disturbed, but it was so fun. But they're like, I was so disturbed, but I was laughing. And every death got applause. And yeah. that's what I want. I want people like cheering, applauding at the end of the death. Well, it is shocking and it is disturbing, but it's not cruel. Yeah. You it's know, not. and it's I don't a, know how to explain it. Movie. Yeah, it, it is playful. Yeah. Well, it's the difference between Scream and Last House on the Left. Definitely. You know, Last House yeah. on the Left, you know, I remember hearing the stories about Wes saying how the crew spit on him or something like after <laughs> yeah. the first screening. He's yeah. like, what have I done? And then after Scream, you know, you're still maiming and killing people, but there's like, you you last house and left is one of those movies you're almost embarrassed to recommend to people because you feel just like people are like did you enjoy that I'm like no I didn't enjoy it I admire it and it was right. amazing in it ways caught but me like up. yeah but I was like oh my it was disturbing so really? I didn't want that it, I didn't want to make like that endurance test disturbing it's not that end of the horror spectrum you're playing with the studio's money it's a mainstream yeah. slasher and for a lot of kids that go see it it's going to be the most gory shocking film they've ever seen in a movie theater. So that I'm that I love. It'll but be I, but what you experience with Friday the 13th. Yeah, or Friday the 13th part 2. Yeah, part or something two. Like that, where it's just like Or even one, 3 with the 3D. Three, yeah, the 3D <laughs> where he gets the mask which is like one insane yeah. death after another, but you know I miss those movies. I miss um holiday horror, I miss slashers. And look, the slashers that come out, it's a reboot or it's a sequel. So right. it is, you know, Michael Myers or it is Ghostface. And I yeah. felt like as much as I love those characters, and they're part of the reason I do what I do, um, I really wanted to give a new generation their own slasher. Yeah. That's kind of like, that's your parents' slasher, or that's your older brothers or sisters. Like, that's not your, it wasn't created with you. And yes, you have your version of it, but it's not something that became a phenomenon when it was you, you made it popular because you championed it. So I wanted to give a new slasher, a new mythology that a whole generation can go, this one's ours. Yeah, and I've talked a lot about how creatively bankrupt the franchises are. You know, it's just reboots yes. and doing the same thing over and over. And you made an original 1980s slasher for 2023. And that's something really to be commended. Uh, because you. it has all of that joie de, it wouldn't be vive, because yeah, whatever, joie de mort. Yeah, joie de mort. <laughs> um, without feeling dated. It, yeah. it feels contemporary. The characters are all contemporary. The setting is contemporary. Everything that happens feels fresh and new, even though... It's, it's got an 80s vibe. It's got an 80s vibe, and it is exactly the movie you expect it to be, but in the best possible sense. Oh, thank you, Mick. I appreciate that. And look, my, my DP, uh, Milan Khadama, we shot Hostel, Hostel 2 in the Thanksgiving yeah. trailer together. Um, you know, we, we went and we found these beautiful uh, Japanese lenses hmm. that we used from Panavision that used kind of glass from the 1980s from like refurbished Hasselblad so that the photography, that there were imperfections in it so that it really wasn't all totally in sharp focus all right. the time so that you're using 1980s glass with modern cameras so you're capturing it in 4K with the 80s glass. Um, but also the way we, we shot it, you know, there, there are certain conventions and rules of a genre, of a slasher for me that I feel like there's language that you guys all established 
that it's a vocabulary that says this is a slasher. Okay, here's the point of view of the house at night with the identifying Chiron of what the event is and where the location is. <laughs> yes, you know, whether exactly. it's whether it's Halloween in Haddonfield, Illinois, whether it's, you know, the graduate the night of the graduation dance in the Prowler, whether it's, you know, pieces Massachusetts nineteen, you know, forty two, yeah. whether it's Arkham prom night, yeah, prom night, whether it's, you know, Arkham or like what, what I think it's Arkham, Massachusetts and reanimated. Yes, yeah. Like so whatever it is, like there's language in the eighties horror movies and then you know, student bodies. I just went right for yeah. like walking towards the house with the breather and then it's a bait and switch. So I wanted people to know we're in a slasher film. You came here for a slasher movie. We're starting with the Brian De Palma blowout POV breather in the house. Right. And then of course he switches it with, you know, you realize they're just sound editing and this switch, you know, it's like, oh, it's okay. It's a, it's actually a friendly dinner. So that's part of the fun is using those things like the girl alone, you know, putting the Q-tip in her ear, about to put the thing in, you know, the contact in her eye. I was like, yeah, no, 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 yeah. you know, hearing a noise, dad, like the like <laughs> all of those things that we love in those movies. It was so, and then you know, the small town. We we looked at uh, uh, photographically. I looked at Fulci's house by the cemetery, mm-hmm. which is like a low budget Massachusetts fall. I love. The kind of bleakness, the trees, the dead trees, the winters, the grays, like that yeah. reminds me. I saw me, that in a drive-in. Oh, beautiful. I, I just gave my 35 print of it to, to Quentin. I had a 35 print. <laughs> um, I love that movie so much because even though it sort of makes absolutely no sense, the, the beauty of it, it, it really reminds me of my childhood and what wow. it looked like growing up. So it, also the Prowler, that kind of small town feel of that movie. It's uh, you know, Joe Zito's The Prowler, and then you go to my and you Blood- got Savini's work. Savini's beautiful yeah. work of art, but also like My Bloody Valentine. You know, this this kind of regional Canadian horror movies where local yeah. actors have a George region- Mahalka, right? Yeah, George Mahalka. Yeah. yeah, have a regional accent. You know, and like, and also Don't Go in the House has that yeah. vibe. There's certain, you know, and obviously when, every time you watch a George Romero film you're like oh there's the guy who's on tv you know they the people they get they get up and kill the people they kill (laughs) that guy every time you see him in a romero movie you feel like you're back in pittsburgh with him so i wanted it to have that and then you know patrick dempsey um everybody knows him as mcdreamy mcdreamy and he's just been voted people's sexiest sexiest man man alive the smoldering patrick sex the very sexy patrick dempsey good timing for you Great timing, because I want people to go see the sexiest horror movie out there. Um, Should have gone to Rick Hoffman, but we'll let Patrick have it. Uh, but Patrick's from Maine. He's from Lewiston, Maine. Oh, really? And oh, that geez. accent in the movie is his real accent. Wow. He grew up with that accent. He had to lose it for Can't Buy Me Love. Like, he grew up with a light New England accent. Wow. With the Maine accent. So, like, for him doing that, it gives it this small town feel. And that was the vibe then you throw in all the modern stuff of viral videos and social media so that it's not it doesn't take place in the 80s but it was classically photographed i wanted the photography it's not just modeling it after horror movies but we watched five easy pieces that's what oh, i wanted yeah. the diner to look like there's yeah yeah you know i watched uh, porkies and christmas stories it wasn't just black christmas but i love oh. the way the high school looks in porkies beautifully beautifully photographed yeah. film beautiful compositions and shots and colors and then Christmas yeah, he uses story. soft filters really interesting amazing yeah, Bob, Bob Clark, Clark was such a good director my god such a great director Christmas Story is amazing and we wanted it to look like Christmas Story yeah. so when people are saying what is this kind of end Thanksgiving dinner going to look like I'm like it's going to look like a holiday movie yeah. it's a demented holiday movie <laughs> but it's this guy's put doing a live stream it's going to be warm so that was the fun was kind of breaking tradition 
with horror movies, not making it look like dark and spooky and scary or cobwebs. It's just taking a holiday film and literally skewering it. But you literally, know, literally. Skewering, but you yes. remember that? You know, you remember the end of Happy Birthday to Me? Oh, sure. And that, skewering, and that, skewering. Exactly. Speaking it's of skewering in the poster and yeah. birthday parties. I, I love that stuff. It was yeah. so the Who Done It slasher, where you're watching people for the tragic event, watching people get picked off, guessing who the killer is. When the filmmakers could pull it off, there was nothing like it. Sleepaway Camp is another one. I love that movie right up to the last frame. Yeah, that one really it, it has its its shocking reveal. Yeah. Masterpiece. Yeah. And you can't it's not done anymore. There's horror is kind of different now. It's not quite like that. And Well, slash, it's been co-opted by the studios and they make them safe. They make them safe and they want them to do a certain thing and then they make a lot of money so they do it again. Yeah. So no it never really gets put under the microscope of this has to be better. And then you get like the Talk to Me's or the other films that kind of break through the system done right. independently. Talk to Me, but they're, amazing. Yeah, they're like, they're far and few between. So yeah. it's a lot of them now kind of will be, you can find them on streaming. I mean, it's much more accessible. It's great. You can see stuff on Shutter and Arrow and all these channels, but it's, uh, it's hard to get an original through the system into wide release. Yeah, and, and the independent film distribution networks have pretty much dried up. They have. For theatrical. Yeah, it's A24 and there's not yeah. much else. And that's yeah. what I like about Sony is they don't have a streamer. And they said, we're releasing this theatrically. And I was telling the cast, I'm like, this is it. Like, we have the unicorn release. There's yeah. one. Yeah. And we're lucky. And, you know, then the actor strike came. And so no one was able to promote it. But as a result, the Dune, Dune Part 2 moved. So that was coming out two weeks before us. And you think, okay, well, it's a different audience. But what it does is it just kind of clears the air. There's not like tons of advertising. All that advertising money, is it's just not there. So it really allows Thanksgiving to cut through. Yeah, it, it allows for the attention to all be sucked up into this one movie. Yeah, so it's pretty exciting. It feels like uh, everyone seems to be feeling pretty good about it, about, you know, we're, we're recording this before the movie's released. Um, so who knows? But I'm just glad we made it and that it's actually getting a proper release. It's yeah. going to have his best shot, and that's all you can ask for. At this point, as a director, you just want to make the movie as close to the way you had it in your head as possible and keep it intact. And to get it into cinemas, to, to us, we never thought that movies would it, themselves would go away. But it's just rarer and rarer and harder and harder. Yeah. So I just thank my lucky stars that we were able to do it. Well, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but you haven't made a horror movie in over a decade. No, I have not. Since Green Inferno. But but let's talk about the generation of this in the first place, because it started out, it was a trailer uh, that was included in the original Grindhouse when mm -hmm. it was one big movie with two movies and trailers, fake trailers. Did you think at the time that you would ever make it into a feature? Well, it... It, the idea actually predates that because the idea came from when Jeff Rendell, my co-writer and I were 12, mm -hmm. growing up in Massachusetts, watching all of the slasher films, waiting for them to make a Thanksgiving movie. Yeah. And it never came. But to us, it was the most obvious one because Thanksgiving is the biggest holiday in Massachusetts. Uh -huh. There's two of separate course. Pilgrim Recreation Villages. There's school plays of Thanksgiving. There's the parade. It's the so biggest... you have you have it set in Plymouth, but you shot it in Canada. We right? did. We scouted Plymouth, yeah. and in one iteration, but that production fell apart in 2019, and then the pandemic hit. And uh, Toronto had a great production company called Cream Productions. I've been working with doing TV shows. So we just slotted it in there, uh, and it was a great double for Plymouth. Um, 
But the original goal was always to make, you know, New Year's Evil, Happy Birthday to Me, April Fool's Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day from Creepshow, like to Silent Night, Deadly Night, to make a holiday slasher film. So when Grindhouse came along, it was an opportunity to test an idea that we'd had since we were 12. So we had all the deaths. Right. We're like, oh, the human turkey on the table. Of and now there's a guy. We always wanted someone in a turkey costume waving at a parade getting decapitated <laughs> by a pilgrim. And the killer pilgrim, these were like our ideas that we've been joking about or talking about since we were 12. Wow. And then after we did the trailer, it was so supremely satisfying because we just added two days of shooting to the end of Hostel 2 and just went crazy and had so much fun. And Quentin saw the trailer. It was like, fuck, you really did it. Like, you did a parade. You did a whole, like, we wow. built floats. Like, you did a human. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we went for it. We didn't, like, I wanted it to look like a real $150,000 horror movie from 1980. We got cameras from Panavision Prague. We shot it on 35 with old cameras, old lenses, scratched up the film. It was amazing. And it was, and after that, Jeff and I were like, well, we're done. We shot the best parts. We don't have to make a movie yeah. with all the. Now it's just like, who wants to f- see the filler, anyways? The trailer, <laughs> the old trailer. All the cop scenes. Forget Nobody it. Nobody wants yeah. any of that stuff. So, but then for years, people were just like, why was this never made? And I would think, well, we, there's no story. We didn't really have an idea. I and mean, we had the idea, but we didn't know what it was about. And then um, we started thinking, like, well, what would it be if we were really going to do this? And then we tried to tie the trailer together, and it just was nonsense. We're just trying to connect the dots we're not even writing new scenes it's just every scene is just a filler to get to some ridiculous detour to get to something that was already in the grindhouse yeah, it's trailer. not a story yet we're like forget it let's pretend that thanksgiving 1980 exists and that every the day it was released it was so offensive every print was pulled from cinemas and ordered destroyed and the only thing that survived was that trailer so this is the reboot but what is then we can pick kind of cherry pick what we like but not have to be not have to follow that in any way and then we started seeing these black friday viral videos yeah. about 10 years ago and we said that's that's what this is it's the, it's it's about the black friday com- consumerism the, the the commercialism commercialization of christmas that has bled forward now it's like now i'm already getting it's before thanksgiving i'm now getting black friday sale alerts oh yeah like and they're all happening. popping up yeah. on my phone so black friday starts as soon as it hits november it's like it's crazy it's gone before thanksgiving now so it's about this holiday where you're supposed to be thankful and let's give thanks and I just need my health and I just need my family. And then in two hours later, you run out and you kill your neighbor for a waffle iron. That was, <laughs> that was, and we thought that's really interesting. That's fertile yeah. ground because not only does it give you your inciting incident that where you can have a number of people get knocked off and so you don't know who's connected to it or what the reven- who they're getting revenge for, but it gives you the theme of why. Why is the killer doing this? Why are the people being punished? You know, it's it's a great fertile ground for a morality tale, as all great horror films are. And once we had that, we could really start writing it and plotting it and mapping it out. And Jeff went, you know, he lives in Boston, so he went to Plymouth and spent a lot of time at the Cordage Museum. And he mm-hmm. researched and he said, did you know that the first governor of New Plymouth Colony is named John Carver? I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, he was the governor on the Mayflower. I'm like, you're kidding me. He's like, if that's not a slasher movie name boy i don't know if that's like god going here you go boys (laughs) run with it so we took that name and we found one image of him and that became the mask so we're like you know we never even look we grew up in massachusetts with thanksgiving as biggest deal and even we never heard of john carver so i like the idea that some kid in school be like i'm gonna write a report on john carver who ran around chopping people up with an axe like no what are you talking about and then the lizzie uh the actor amanda barker who plays lizzie in the diner 
Not only is she from Hanover, so her accent was wicked real. <laughs> she's a direct descendant of John Carver. Wow. So one of her, he's an uncle, like 14th generation. So he's on the phone that she's a direct blood relative of John Carver. So you're doing a scene where John Carver is like sticking her face to the freezer and she's ripping her skin off and right. getting attacked, chasing her with an axe by her by like John Carver. by John Carver. <laughs> so it was pretty it was wild shooting it. Well, Massachusetts is pretty fertile ground. I went to to uh, Salem to scout for Hocus Pocus and did a lot of research there and learned a lot of things that I didn't know before as you did with John Carver and everything. And it, it, there's By such the way, history. I just want to say I love that Hocus Pocus is in the vocabulary of those Halloween classics that come back every year that can always get re-released in a theater. And the goal with Thanksgiving, it was like one of those where like maybe even if it's an off year and we don't make one, you can still put it in cinemas for a weekend. Yeah. But ho- the, the uh. examples we use, we go, are it's really Nightmare Before It's Elf for Christmas. And Halloween, it's Nightmare Before Christmas and Hocus Pocus. Uh, it is thanks. a bona fide classic that people will still, people want to see it in a theater at Halloween. You really, really made something special. Oh, uh, thank you. It, it, it's a lot of it has to do with luck and timing. But, um, but it's creativity. Yeah. It's your fertile imagination and your understanding of how to capture that childlike thing that we all loved in horror and putting it for family audiences and keeping generations, getting the kids that gateway horror, getting them excited to go see something spooky and fun and scary and girls still dressing up yeah. like the witches every year. It's it's it More is than a, ever. Yeah. Yeah. It's it is really a bizarre. bona fide, legitimate classic. Well, I think it only comes from people's who people whose hearts are genuinely yeah. full of this. I know. You know, that it's it's a passion for the genre that is a lot of people try and make their way into the industry by doing low budget horror because yes. they think it's an avenue to success rather than I love horror movies. I would do it at any price. I I know and I, I hate when those movies are good. Like, <laughs> yeah. They usually it. aren't. Damn it. I know. They're usually not, but every now and then you see a great one. You're like, I wonder what they're gonna do next. They're like, I don't really like horror. I just needed a job. Ah, like, oh, man, ah. no I don't want to support you. But yeah, it is true that people because horror movies, if they're well done have a very good chance of making money. Yeah. If it's good. Because they don't rely on stars or expensive elements. Yeah. Scare yeah. is the star. Yeah. The scare is the star. And that's it. And that's, look, with Thanksgiving, we know, you know, even with the actor strike, it was great that I was able to promote it. Um, but we also know people are either into the idea of a Thanksgiving killer or they're not. Yeah. It doesn't matter if I direct. I mean, it does matter to the fans that know me. But in general, and you know what you're doing. Public, you know how to put this together. But you know? but also like just the like it's the concept. Do people yeah. want to see? And that was you know Josh at Sony's like I'm going bold with this. Like it's yeah. never been done. We've no one has done the November every, and everyone said you can't do it. People don't want horror. They're tired of it. They've had their fill. They've Nobody's, had 31 days of yeah. it. I'm like, what are you talking about? Give them something good. Horror fans are never full. No, why would you? It's a good. If it's a good movie, it's yeah. a good movie. It doesn't matter what time of year it's released. And it has to deliver. You know, you, well, you can have truth. a movie called Thanksgiving that is filled with kills, but if it's not a joyride, then it's just going to lie there. And it's funny. What's funny is the title was always, to me, the most obvious. T- I always say, like, sometimes it's like dumbest idea wins. Like, if you're making a Thanksgiving movie, like, you just call it the Thanksgiving because that's what they would have done in 1980. Right. They wanted it to come out, you know, they want everybody to know we got Thanksgiving. No one else can come. Like Halloween was <laughs> Halloween. Yep. 
Thanksgiving's Thanksgiving. Um, but the the people at Sony were like, it's such a brilliant title. It's amazing. It's, I was just like, it's like calling a movie, you know, air or dirt. Like, like something, to me, it was something such a basic title. Yeah. But also, I said, you know, this is the kind of title where if this movie works, I think one of the reason Hostel is still in the zeitgeist is because there's advertising for it all over the world. Yes. Every day of the year. Yeah. And always on social media, every day, someone is walking by a hostel and they're taking a photo and going, hope I don't get chopped up. Like you yeah. took, as like, it's like calling your movie stop sign or stop. It's just like every stop sign be like, thinking think of, of that, that movie. movie. Yeah. You know, you think of that movie. So, so I was like every year for Thanksgiving, no matter what happens after this movie, it will be just like perpetual advertising for the franchise. Yeah. If we're lucky enough to get to do another one. If not, it'll be advertising for this one. Yeah. And you know, if this one does well, maybe there will be more. Maybe there won't. Who cares? Who knows? Who cares? We got to do one. I, yeah. I, I know. I used to think about that all the time. You're like, oh, I'd love to have my own franchise. But now I'm just like, no, 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 no. There's one, and that's it. And if, if people go see it, great. And if we can do more, great. And if not, we got to do this one. I'll go on to something else. Exactly. Now, let's talk about this over a decade since Green Inferno. I mean, you've done a lot of horror oriented things like documentary horror stuff adjacent, the history yeah. of history of horror your reality shows that that you've produced sure. and the like but you haven't done a full-throated horror movie since green inferno so tell me what the considerations have been has it just not been the right time was it thanksgiving you wanted to do or you just didn't have the project that made you salivate well, the truth is that I think, you know, like you, you know, with all your very many various, well, like our first love, of course, is horror, but you have many, many sides oh, yeah. to your creativity yeah. and music. I mean, there's all kinds of sides to the things you can write and do and direct and yeah. produce. Sometimes we're forced into a box that I'm happy to live in. Yeah. But I would love to work outside that box, but I don't get the opportunities to. Right. So so I found that after Green Inferno, look, Green Inferno to me isn't even like a normal horror film. It still falls in the genre of like a jungle adventure. Can It's like a cannibal yeah, movie. Yeah, it's, it's cannibal very, holocaust. It's cannibal. America, yeah, it's, yeah. And those movies are, even for horror fans, they're like considered like the bottom of the barrel. They're super niche. So I couldn't I get I, all the way through yeah, Cannibal Holocaust exactly. myself so, because yeah. of all the real animals being killed. Right. Well, that's why Bob Murawski released the cruelty-free version. Where ah. You can play it with no animal killings. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, I'll on, have to get that. On the Blu-ray. Okay. You can choose to play a full version or the cruelty-free version. Ah. So he edits out. He skips past all the animal killings, which I love. <laughs> that's why I love Bob Murawski. Um, but yeah, so so yeah, those movies are kind of reviled. But I, I love them, even though I'm a big animal rights activist. Um, I still love the movies for the just for the balls for these guys going off in the jungle and working with like people that legitimately live yeah, there. Yeah, like Ruggiero was. Dave Dotto's a total madman. Yeah. Lindsay, Sergio Martino with Mount of the Campbell guy. But it didn't look like your typical horror film. I mean, no. we shot it in Peru. That was the fun of it, was everyone's just like, what the hell is this? Most people had never seen a film like that. It was me trying to introduce that element into American pop culture. Yeah, you need to see Italian cannibal movies. <laughs> like, it's just so people just, and I listed them all in the credits. I just did it as an excuse so people would kind of homage, go back and be like, what is this crazy, crazy subgenre? One of my favorite ones is Massacre in Dinosaur Valley, directed by Michele Massimo Tarantini, which is a kind of half-jungle adventure, and then it turns cannibal movie, and then it turns into a diamond mine movie, like the end of Django. It's such a weird film shot in Brazil, but I never knew it was a cannibal movie because it's called Massacre in Dinosaur Valley. I thought it was about dinosaurs. That's just the name of the like the village the they go to. <laughs> um, 
but so yeah, so that it was a weird one, and I knew that, and then we made it for a very low budget, and that was part of the fun. But after that, I was like, I'm I kind of done a bunch of movies in a row that were really bloody, and that's why Knock Knock. I was like, I'm gonna have one drop of blood and make it more of a chess piece in a house, not being in the Amazon. And then just different opportunities happened where uh, Meg fell through and I jumped onto Death Wish because those right. directors fell off. And it was my first time kind of doing a studio movie, working for a major star. I was like, let me put my, like, I'm a writer, director, ego to the side. This was Bruce Willis. This is Bruce yeah. Willis. Let me just show that I can handle a movie, that I can handle a star like Bruce. And it's where I met Roger Birnbaum, who uh, produced Thanksgiving. We had, we had a great time. And then I did... Yeah, and I think that really sort of warmed me up for House of the Clock and its Walls. Where Roger worked at Avco Embassy when I was yeah. there oh, back so in eighty one. Cool. Yeah. Um so yeah, so yeah, Roger's old school, he's the best. So so I did, you know, House of the Clock and its Walls. I wanted to do a kid's movie because everyone's like, Well, when are you gonna make something my kids can see? And I said, I want to show that I can make a movie that's fun and scary in a completely PG realm, not PG-13, straight PG for 10-year-old kids. And that's a beautiful movie. Thank you. Yeah, it was was my DP Rohir who shot Death Wish. We shot it together. Rohir Stouffer's shot The Vow, really shot Quills. And it was a John Hutman production designer, really beautiful looking film. It's so fun working with Kate Blanchett and Jack, Jack Black. And then, then I while I was doing that, I did my documentary, Finn, about Finn, sure, all about the, sharks the sharks being killed, uh, which has been great because it's at least raised awareness for it. At least now it's not a foreign concept to people, that people know like this is a real thing. It's still going on. It's still just as awful. We should have no sharks out of the water. They're being 18,000 an hour being killed, and they keep our oceans clean and healthy. And even last summer, people started seeing all... Uh, I mean, there were toxic algae blooms all over the beaches in California. That is because there's no sharks. The sharks keep the grouper in check because without the sharks, there's too many grouper. They eat the parrotfish. The parrotfish would eat the algae. So one shark in the area keeps the whole thing in balance so that the parrotfish can eat the algae. And without them, the algae just turns into a toxic algae bloom. And then all of a sudden, the sea lions are attacking and the dolphins are attacking because they're eating the poison algae. It's like it's it's such a, a disastrous effect that you can see immediately but that was like important to me was to get that out, you know. Well, and I think it's great that people known for being horror filmmakers are animal activists, are yes. people who have feelings about these sorts of things. They're passionate about it. They're vegans like myself yeah, and so absolutely. many others. You know, I know. Well, it's that, true. They it, are, you know, it, more so than out of the genre. Absolutely, absolutely. No, I, I completely. They're the people that you like would trust to babysit your kids that are not because they <laughs> yeah. get it out. They're not em- embarrassed yeah. by it, and they the repressed uh, ones are the ones to be yeah, afraid of. Those yeah. are the ones to really be afraid of. So, so I made that, and I just wasn't that into doing a horror movie. I just, yeah. I just didn't feel like it. I felt like I had spent so much time talking about it, defending it, getting raked over the coals for yeah. it that I was like. I love it, and I don't mind being crucified by critics and the press and roasted by fans. and t- All that stuff doesn't bother me because I get to do what I love, so there's nothing else that matters. If you do pu- work for public consumption, you have to have the hide of a rhinoceros. Absolutely, and you can't take... the, the You can't just only listen to the people that love it. The people, yeah. like, you can't listen to anything. you got to listen to yourself, and if people are cheering and having a great time, that's the best you can hope for. Um, especially, you know, we're not... These aren't Oscar movies. You know, they're not, but... I always say time is the only critic that matters. Yeah. And time has been the critic that has judged you very, very, 
well. I mean, your movies, you know what, like time, 30 years, you know, how many years of Vincent Hocus Pocus? Yeah, I mean, Still that a was classic. 30 years ago. 30 and, years ago. And it's more, way more popular now than way it was. Way more popular. Even that's Critters the... 2. Yes, was, that's what I mean. There were two people in the theater on opening night, and now it's And now you play at the New Beverly, it sell, yeah. Critters 2 sells out Yeah, when people go see it, because yeah. they love it. It is made with love. It is a fun, infectious, creative, uh, fun movie. Thank and people so and they're rare. You see how rare it is now, especially in the horror genre. You know, the ones yeah. that work are the ones that do have a, a a sense of playfulness to them. I agree. Yeah, I know. And so, anyway, so so when it came time for Thanksgiving, there is a part of you that's like got as we all have that the directors all have that slightly competitive nature where you want to be like step aside kids let me show you how it's done like daddy's back i was like let's let everybody go through their process make their movies do their thing i'm going to sit in the background i'm going to watch i'm going to wait i'm going to see what other people do i'm going to see where the genre goes and then i'm going to come in and i want to clear the decks and rewrite the books and have everyone go that's the bar you have that in the back of your mind. Now, whether or not you do that, yeah. it remains to be seen. But that's what Open you're to opinion. Yeah. Open to opinion. But then, I, look, and I made Borderlands, I, which was a huge... And that's huge, your next thing. Yeah, is, that's is coming out in August. It's already big done. Big video game. Yeah, movie. I mean, that's a huge, massive video game adaptation with Kate Blanchett, Jack Black, Kevin Hart, Jamie Lee Curtis, You've worked Edgar with them Ramirez. before, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Like, Ariana Greenblatt. Like, what a the time of my life making that movie. And a big um, budget. Huge right? budget, yeah. but obviously with huge budget comes a million other little decisions, visual effects, dealing with all these things. Whereas I was like, I need to get back to Hostel. I need to get back to... I had less shooting days on this than I did on Hostel. Wow. This was, this was even with the additional photography, it was 35 days. So that's it. And you're like, I better nail it. But... Now I'm 20 years later. It's been yeah. 20 years since Cabin Fever. And I believe in the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours theory that like it takes 10,000 hours to achieve mastery. And that's, I think, eight hours a day concentrated for 10 years. You know, And so now we're 20 years. So I feel like I'm getting to the point where when I have a riot scene with 600 extras yeah. and a whole bunch of different subplots and special effects, and I only have four nights to do it, I know how to plan it. I know what I need. I know where to spend the money. I mean, you always make mistakes and learn for the next one and go, oh man, I spent too much on that. I wish I'd known I could have cut that scene. I'd spent the money on that set. But, you know, you live and learn. But you, I, I also kind of have that degree of mastery now where I am the old guard on set. I'm the veteran. <laughs> I'm the experienced yeah. one. And you're ushering in a whole bunch of new kids. And also, I loved producing. You know, I had a great time producing you know the haunted museum and urban legend and goes through my life and that's where i met justin harding who shot my set he's a one a fantastic director out of canada he did some amazing episodes of haunted museum and i brought him into shoot second unit for me on uh thanksgiving and could give him a camera and a team and get these pieces and he helped do a lot of previs with me he's amazing he's a whiz at frame forge so we could go through sequences together i any movie i do now i bring justin on to help me plan and visualize some of the sequences because we were able to really just execute, execute, execute. I felt like by the end, you know, when I was doing the cat and mouse with Kathleen and the pitchfork and escape, I was like, oh man, now we've hit our stride. Every shot is exactly the way I want it. We planned it perfect. We got it. It's just like, I want a whole movie of that now. So I'm, I'm now I'm in the groove. Now I'm like, um, we had so much fun shooting this movie, even though it was the coldest I've ever been. <laughs> the cast were so nice, and everybody just yeah. wanted to be there. I Isn't like, that magical when that happens? Yeah, and you know what the key is? I was like, guys, we're all doing this. We're all doing this for nothing. 
Yeah. If you want to make money, you can do a post on Instagram. Well, that's go what's, to a, You want to get paid? Go to a campaign. You want to be an actor? We'll do this movie. But here's what I can give you. The time of your life, the best role you've ever gotten, and a very fast shoot. Yeah. It will be done in four weeks or five weeks. That's it. And they go, okay, let's go. And everyone that showed up brought that right attitude of let's make a classic. And that's the great thing about independent film. It really is more a director's medium than the world of Marvel, for example. Oh, there's no question. Where With it, all that money, there's too many opinions. You know, you have too many influences. You're, and too many responsibilities. Too many responsibilities and so many masters to serve that it's so nice when you are, you know, look, obviously the dream is if you can be Christopher Nolan and make a $150 million, $200 million personal movie. Whenever and, you want. Yeah. By the way, a right he has earned. Right. By earning, making movies that have made a lot of money. It's yeah. not just he got that by accident. He worked very hard for it, and he wrote his own ticket. So yeah. utmost respect for Christopher Nolan, Quentin Tarantino, for the directors that really do it step by step, starting with Memento, yeah. writing his way up to Oppenheimer. Incredible. So for me, when I make a horror movie, I want to really just not, you know, there's no, I'm not answering to anybody except they go, this is the amount of money you have. Do what right. you want. This is the script you want to do. Here's what we think it's worth it for us to spend on it. Go. You're the producer. You spend it how you want. And I go, yeah. okay. That to me is so much easier to work with than we like that. Here's mm, maybe we'll fund it. We'll try a little bit of money. If we like it, we'll add more visual effects. Like I just like to know this is the dollar amount. I can do it mathematically. This is okay. That's the dollar amount. This is the amount of days I have. This is the amount of days I have. This is the amount of scenes I have. How many? days per scene do I want to give? All right, the diner, we're doing it in one night. Manny's apartment, got to do it in one night. The riot, four nights. Warehouse ending, it's going to be four nights. You know, all these things. Like, So you just sort of mathematically divide it up. I have a great AD, and then we start. From there, you break down the number of shots. I go, okay, I have one night to get this and four pages of dialogue, and I need these six shots for the kill, so let me work backwards from there. And you just break it down mathematically and i think that there is something about pressure creates diamonds that you and and making a theatrical movie you know i think the streamer movies the downside to the streamer movies is you don't have the gun to your head of if this fails i'm fucked right if this fails my career is over it's a streamer movie if it does great great if it fails who cares nobody notices nobody yeah. notices it's it is a schrodinger hit Mm-hmm. No, there's it's a hit because they say it's a hit, right? But that is a Schrodinger hit. <laughs> Whereas if you're making a movie that is pure box office, everybody knows what that movie made. Absolutely. You are going to live or die, and that affects every decision you make. And watching it with an audience, and you're thinking, okay, I'm not just competing with myself or other. This is every other movie. People are going to have a choice of five movies that weekend. Why are they going to see mine? What is going to make my movie? better than every other movie that is at the theaters that weekend yeah. that's going to make people get out of their house and run to the theater so they don't miss it. You better come up with something damn good that's better than anything on television that's also more unique and different than anything in the theaters. That doesn't mean a big explosion. That And you're doing a horror movie, I'm like, okay, challenge accepted. I can do that. <laughs> I can come up with a kill that people are going to go, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. So that's the fun of it. That's it's terrifying. You feel that but it to me that pressure and that terror, that's that's like you just it's like walking through fire like you've got to do it. I think it's so good for the creative process to 
be afraid every time you t- oh, yeah. set out. Every time I start a new project, I feel like I'm a first-time director. Me too. Do you have that thing where you pull up the first day in the car and you have that three seconds and you go, hang on one second, and you pretend like you're looking for your keys or your phone, <laughs> and you sit there and go, I just want the car to take me home. I need to just <laughs> open the door and get out of the car. And then you do it. Like you're driving to set that first day. I yeah. always say it's like when you get on – and then by the end, you're like, I'm so sad. I don't want it to end. I don't want it to end. I would say it's like it's like a when you get on a roller coaster, you wait in line and you do it, and then it's like production starts, and then that Whoa. thing clamps, and you're like, dun, 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 and we're like, let me off, give me off. I was kidding. Wait, I need more time. I need more time. And then the thing goes, you're like, ah! and they're like, that was so fun. Let's do it again. Yep. By the end of it, the you're bullet. like, that was it. Yeah, that's <laughs> it, exactly that's what it is. What every, literally every that. movie is like that. You know, I'm always afraid I'm gonna fuck it up. You know? Oh, you always feel that, but, yeah. but I think that it's but like... But once the machine starts to move, you go, I feel comfortable. And you're like, oh, I'm good at this. Yeah. This is why, this is what I love. Oh, yeah, I pushed myself. I took a chance. I was terrified. I didn't let that little voice stop me, and I came out with something better. You know, and then especially if you had success early on, you're like, I got to top it. I got to match it. I got to beat it. It can't be like, oh, he peaked at Hostel. I got to right. do it. You know, you want to be like, oh, that's his best movie. So it's it's scary, but I think of it like, downhill skiing you know when you're at the top you're like when you're going fast your vision just sharpens yeah and that's what you need it's like you're downhill skiing that it's the fear that makes you focus and that focus is what makes you just barrel ahead and when you have that everyone gets behind you and then you're like yeah this is what i'm great at i'm like so comfortable here and yeah. then people come and visit, and they're like, "Whoa, you're in charge! You know, you're walking around the set with all the extras and all the cameras and all the thing. Let's do one there. Like it's nothing." And everyone's like, "You know, people are like, oh, how did you?" Do-? So, but doing that—that's the job. Yeah, yeah, doing that parade scene, doing that riot scene, doing the chaos scene, and then you get, I, what I would do now is write some more like dinner scenes or conversation. <laughs> like I'm like, "Oh my god, it's two people in an office talking." I get one day where <laughs> yes. I just get to point and just do like a wide shot, close, close. Uh. It's like, oh. You got it. I got to give myself more softball days. But this one, <laughs> yeah. this one, I just said, you know what? I'm not going to coast on my early films. It's time to remind everyone why I got here in the first place and show them what I'm great at and what my unique voice is. This is my voice. And this, this is, is there's and no this, question. This is an Eli Roth film. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, that can be good or bad. But but I also feel like I've grown in certain ways. But at the same time, I've just gotten better at doing what I love. And I've, I've cut a lot of the bullshit out that I didn't necessarily need. Well, one of the f- fascinating things about following a career, and I've known you since Cabin Fever, yeah. is watching the evolution of an artist as a filmmaker or in any other, a musician or yeah. whatever, even just as a fan watching somebody's work, watching that process change. How do you see your evolution not just through the making of the movies, but also through the life passages, the becoming a, a, sure. a parent. Yeah, becoming, becoming a parent, you know, all, all the of marriages, that. divorces, all those things. Yeah. I mean, I think that one thing that I love is, you know, I used to feel like I could only write characters of the age I was at, mm. you know, or something close to it. And not being afraid to write characters of all ages. And if I don't if I want to get more into that mindset, knowing that it's okay to talk to someone that age of that experience and that I can authentically capture their voice and that your insights into humanity and the way people behave and the things they do and the way they react 
are just as valid as anyone else's. Because yeah. I always think, well, I'm not the expert. I don't. But then at a certain point, you go, no, I, I am. I actually do know this, or I I I know enough to be confident to write that, um, and I know enough about what I don't know to research it and to ask and to forever be a student about it. I like that. You know, at 51, I can still write dialogue for a 17-year-old and yeah. have it be authentic and ring true because I know what the intention is in the scene. But all my friends, you know, my son's 16, my friend's kids are 17. Like, I can just sit and talk with them and run the scene with them. And you're and say, plugged How in. How do you do this? Yeah, it's like you're you're just sort of open and interested and, you know, curious about that. That I think it's nice to be on set. Like, when I was with Patrick Dempsey and Rick Hoffman and Gina Gershon, and we're like, you know, the parents on set. And then you have all the kids who are anywhere from 18 to 22 years old. And they were just so happy to be there. Um, we were feeding off that energy. Like, they're all yeah. coming to us going, how do we have great longevity in our careers? The girls are like, Gina is the sexiest thing I've ever seen. I mean, she has goals. Like, I want to be like Gina and have a career like that. Or Rick Hoffman on Suits, how do you do it? Or Patrick Dempsey, what's it like? I mean, you know, movie star, TV star, Eli, you've been doing this, like... They're looking at us like that, and we're looking at them going, oh, remember when we were so excited to be here, and this was fun, and no <laughs> and one was complaining, and it was new. And then when it was the kind of set where when people weren't shooting, the kids would just want to show up on set. Just, and, I, and I invited them and gave them all uh, kind of 1999, 2000-era handy cams with videotapes in it. Oh, so nice. Out. So nice. they were shooting video diaries. So if they, they weren't just standing around. They were, like, filming BTS. But I wanted the BTS to look like Blair Witch style. Right. So they shot all this fantastic footage. Um and they were engaged and I was like, use this as an opportunity to learn. And they were there supporting and they were there with everyone. And and they then they started Instagram accounts and TikTok accounts and people fan accounts started. So they were kind of the behind the scenes. People were like, wow, Thanksgiving, they look like they're having a fun time making that movie. Yeah. This movie's gonna be fun because this cast really loves each other. These guys are having a blast. And I thought and I thought this is what it's all about. It's you have this crazy idea, but you give and you build this kind of traveling circus. And everyone gets to join it for five or six weeks. And you take that with you for the rest of your life. So um, I think, you know, what I had back then was I was so, I also felt like I had to kind of party with the cast. Like we would shoot and then we'd go out or in hostel. It was part of it was let's wrap early and go out to the bars and go out all night. And then, you know, you start to lose focus because you're not sleeping enough. But now it's it's just like, okay, married. They're all going to go out and have fun. I don't want to eat food at 1130. They're like, yeah, we're going out for cookies at 12 at night. I'm like, you guys, why would you eat tacos at 1230 at no, night? Are you insane? No I'm like, like, I think of the you know the stomach ache I'd have. But with me, I'm like, you guys, I'm going to go home. I'm going to prepare for tomorrow. I'm going to be asleep by 830, 845. I'm up at 5 in the morning working out so that by 615 pickup or 630 pickup, I'm ready to go. Have my energy on set at 7. And... You know, that's how we're doing this. So it, it for me, it was so nice to watch the cast all become friends and hang out on their own and have their own relationships and their own friendships. And I was like, you feel like this parental thing of like, I was able to provide that for them. Yeah. And what they're providing me, I mean, they better fucking know their lines when they show up <laughs> or I'm firing their ass. But they were so good. They came so prepared and with so many ideas they just wanted to be in the world of the movie. And you have someone like Addison Ray, who's known for TikTok, who's so famous. She's on set. She doesn't want her, she's, her phone's nowhere near her. She just wants to be on set. She's like, I don't want to be on my phone. I want to be here. This is Good what I her. love to do. I want to know my lines. And she was so professional and so good. And you really see her range in the film. You completely forget about her social media persona. You're just in the world of this character. And then you have someone like Nell Verlack, who's, 
a total theater actor from New York and when, and her father's an actor and acting coach and just is like there in the scene. And then everyone else, they're just, they don't want to be on their phones doing something else. Hey, what? they're just like, forget it. We want to live as these characters in our costumes on set, making the best scene possible. So my job is to, to foster an environment like that, keep them enthused, keep them excited I had them watch Sorcerer by William oh, Friedkin. Yeah, one of the so best they movies ever. I didn't want them complaining. I was like, look, they, look what they went through. I, I had the yeah. girls watch oh, Betty God. Blue with Beatrice Dahl. I was oh, like, God. she was 21. Yeah. You're 22. You better beat that because that's what I'm expecting. <laughs> They're like, okay. I'm like, I'm like, she was 21 when she did that movie. That's the level of acting yeah. that she did. Well, yeah. What are you going to do? How are you going to do something that unique? It's and, great to light a fire under actors, oh, under they loved a crew it. and a cast. They want to feel like they're doing something special and they're a part of something that's not the norm. They did. And we put up slasher movie posters all over the office. And, you know, it was it, watching movies. Like, it's it's part of it's part of keeping people involved. In, and they the whole crew went on to, they went on to uh, Welcome to Derry after, oh, which yeah. I think got hit by the strike, unfortunately. <clears throat> but yeah. a lot of my crew was went on to that. And they were saying that everyone else heard, the people had heard that like the Thanksgiving shoot, even though it was freezing cold, was the best shoot. People uh, were like, it was the most, not that Derry was, I'm just saying that they were all were talking to Derry people. Right, were like, sure. We heard Thanksgiving was amazing. Thanksgiving was like the best. Everyone had the best time of their lives. It was you just, want it to just be, a good vibe on set. Yeah, you want it to be happy and encouraging. And, you know, it's hard to make a movie. Very hard. And it's especially hard if egos get in the way or anything yeah. gets in the way. If everybody's working together as a team, you're going to do your best work. I know. And there's an important, very obvious element that needs to be talked about, particularly when it comes to slasher movies, is characterization. Usually it's about the kills. I mean, Friday the 13th, the original trailer, just goes, shows each the kill. Number, I know. Number one, two, three, four, five. And, but starting with Cabin Fever and particularly with Hostel, characterization is key. And you care about these guys, these funny guys on a trip to this place they don't understand at all. And it starts out so funny. And the relationships between them really set a stage for you to open up to what's about to happen to them. Well, characterization is so important. Well, you, you always said that, you know, for a horror movie to work, it has to be a great drama. Yeah. And then you layer the horror in. Yeah. And, and I really believe that. And it, it, to me, when there's bad characters, it's the greatest sin because it's lazy writing. Yep. And I understand things get rushed and stuff gets cut and things get changed in editing. But you can tell. You can tell when they didn't have a creative thought. And this is a character that's performing a service role. And they came up with some shtick to dance around it. And there's a reason we remember every character from the first screen. Yeah. We know them. And there's a reason in certain horror movies, you know the characters' first and last names. We know who Deputy Dewey is. We know who Sidney Prescott is. We know who Randy is. We know who Stu Mocker is. It's not just because their names were referenced in the sequels. It's because they were amazing characters. Yeah. And that's Kevin Williamson and Wes casting the right people. Yeah. And so, you know, when you think of those great movies, you're just like, you took Kevin Williamson, whose mentor is John Hughes, and put him through the blender of Wes Craven, and you get Scream. You yep. get a John Hughes movie directed by Wes Craven as a slasher <laughs> yes. film. Yeah. And yeah. it's so and with a brilliant cast. And it's so special. And I thought, why can't everybody and now not every writer can do that? And that's what yeah. Jeff Rendell has a gift about. We love characters. We love horror movies. We love 
we we constantly quoting our favorite movie characters. Of course. So if we're gonna have a chance, we're gonna write the nerd as Jacob. We're gonna write the jock as Evan. We're gonna write the kind of local, you know, what was Wooderson character, the older kid hanging around with the high school kids as McCarty. So we want to write classic, classic characters. When I'm writing Cabin Fever, I want Deputy Winston and you know all the weirdos that we put in Hostel. It's just it's so and Oli from Iceland. Like it, to me. It's a, it, we, were, we were watching it going like, God, it's like we're making a cop movie, a high school movie, and a slasher movie. We right. should at least pick a genre here like because we have three movies at the same time. Ah, it's a mashup. And that's okay. And that's what's so fun is that the kid, there's no minor characters. The teacher, it's the kid in class reading his page, you know, protesting Thanksgiving and then flashing his abs. Like all those, yeah. all those little jokes and the character, you know, the teacher, Mrs. Byers, like every single character that you have is an opportunity to have some like amazing character, which was kind of standard, like in the eighties, in the eighties movies, you know, part three of Friday the 13th, part three of Shelley Finkelstein. There's so many like fun characters in yeah. these films that that's what makes the movies classics. Well, they were alive the before the opening titles and they either live on or they got killed before the end titles. But, um, you know, you, you just feel that they weren't just hired for a day's work. Yeah, they brought something special to it. And look, you know, even the character, the actors that come in to do a small part, whether it's Tim Dillon or whoever, like they they came in and they just made the part sing. And that is true. There are no, there's no such thing as a small part. There's only small actors. A great actor can come in and in one scene, Ned Beatty and Network, you can come in and steal the damn movie. Yeah, Christopher Walken in Pulp Fiction. (laughs) I tried to do it on Idol. I was like, you go in and you're like, I'm going to try and steal every scene I can. <laughs> now, you're with the best scene stealers ever of Jane Addams and Hank Azaria yeah. and Divine Joy Randolph. It's yeah. like, you know, you're with the best of the best of the best of the best who are incredibly generous, wonderful people. But, you know, I understand that, the value. Like, when you can come in and be in a scene for two minutes and just steal the show there's nothing like it so i try to write parts for everybody where every single person now you're stealing the movie now you're stealing the movie now you're stealing the movie and working as an actor as well gives you a lot of insight into the writing process absolutely yeah and i having just gone through idol before i made thanksgiving was really great because idol was totally unexpected it was sam levinson going here come on set for one day i want the scene where you pull up in a gate so he puts me in this two million dollar car that I'm like terrified Jesus. to scratch and drive. Oh, the guys, the show, like, you know, I go like to the gate down and then like give it to the handlers. Um, and uh, it was incredible. I, it, then we just had so much fun. It just kept adding. And I was wa- and watching Sam's process, shooting three cameras, 35 millimeter, being with Abel the weekend at his house and Lily Rose Depp and Hank Azari. It was Troy oh, He's Savant. such an amazing filmmaker and writer. Uh, the best. And, and such a lovely, lovely human being. And mm. his wife, Ashley, is his producer. And they become really close friends. And I was like, I didn't want anything more than to... I just want to give Sam options and come up with great ideas. And every scene, we're looking at it. Me and Hank are, and Divine and Jane are going, what if I say this? And you can say, let's try that. Or we get it exactly. Let's do this. And Sam would let us go for 15 minutes at a time. Nice. And you know, burning 35 millimeter. It was wow. amazing. It was amazing. So we, we had the time of our lives shooting that. And that was really great to do that right before going to direct Thanksgiving. Yeah. It was like a perfect tune up. It got me like in the frame of mind of the actors. It got me not afraid to throw out a scene and rewrite it if it's not working. It said it, it reminded me of the level of preparation and dedication that I need. Um, it was spectacular. Well, that time has come. 
the time to wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. Thanks, Mick. And thank you for coming back, Eli, and being part of our show as we uh, near the end of our run. Um, it's it's just experiences like this that make it all worthwhile and was the whole point of doing the podcast in the first place. Well, Mick, thank you for not just uh, your incredible generosity as a filmmaker and as a person with your Masters of Horror Dinner and well, the series, but you know, giving filmmakers like me and people have a voice to just connect and tell their story and share their stories. And now the post-mortem on post-mortem is that like we, what we wanted to do with History of Horror was have an archive of these movies and yeah. see them in a historical context. All of these conversations just get added to that and they now exist for everyone to enjoy. Yeah, there's almost 200 eternity. of them. You know? It's beautiful. Yeah, it's great. Thanks for being such an integral part of it, Eli. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every Wednesday or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Postmortem with Mick Garris is produced by Mick Garris and Joe Russo. Our sound engineer is Christopher Leon Price. Our announcer is Jeff Gelb. Our graphic designer is John Holland. And our theme was composed and performed by Bill Burney with additional music by John Jasensky. If you're enjoying our show, please take a moment to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.